Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. So you can open up your Bible or maybe turn on your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to say just thank you so much for making last week in our Easter services so special. We, we had a, a, a great uh, Good Friday service. I mean, it was, it was powerful. It was one of the uh, more attended Good Friday services we've had in years. And so it was good to have the choir back for that. Uh, choir's going to be coming back next week, so you'll be seeing more of them. And then Easter Sunday, just really well attended, great spirit within the room. And, and you guys made that possible, praying, fasting, inviting people. Uh, we had new guests come. We had two men indicate that they prayed to receive Christ, that we're following up with them right now. And so just a lot of praises uh, go up for last weekend. So just very, very excited about that. Thank you so, so much. Uh, for what you did making that a special weekend. This morning, we're starting uh, 1 Corinthians. And my intent right now is to take us, Lord willing, all the way through 1 Corinthians, just line by line. Now, there are 16 chapters, so that's going to take us a while. And so what we're doing is the first six chapters, we're going to call that a beautiful mess. And you're going to see why in a little bit. And we're going to just move through those first six chapters together. That's going to take us probably early into June, and then we're going to pray about whether we can take a break and do, you know, go somewhere else, or we're we just going to keep on plowing through. All right, so let me warn you, if you've not really read 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of weird stuff coming, all right? If you have read 1 Corinthians, you go, oh man, there's a lot of weird stuff coming, all right? And you know what we're going to do? We're just going to plow through it. And we're going to have some uncomfortable conversations in here on some Sundays. Uh, but we're just going to do what we do. We're going to open up the Word of God. We're going to preach it. We're going to teach it. We're going to follow it. We're going to obey it. And we're going to say, hey, this is His Word. And uh, we're going to celebrate that Word uh, together. And so I want to also let you know this. As we're moving through this, because again, we're going to talk about some things maybe you've never heard in church before or you haven't heard in a long time in church and you may have some questions, please let us know those questions. Because what Pastor Matt and I do is on Wednesdays, we record a podcast where we try to take ideas that we've kind of gone over in the sermon or questions you might have, and we can go deeper into those questions. So last week, it's going to come out this week, um, I, I mentioned a guy by the name of Melchizedek a few weeks ago, and there, we got a lot of questions off of that, like, who's this guy Melchizedek that you just mentioned two minutes in the sermon. We did a 30-minute podcast on Melchizedek, okay? So that's going to come out this Wednesday. So if you've got questions like that, let us know. We can address it a little bit deeper uh, in the podcast, and we'd love to be able to help you out on that. So as we're moving through 1 Corinthians, one thing we need to understand about Corinth as we move into this book is really Corinth, in a lot of ways, is no different than the culture in which we live now. See, the culture in which Paul is operating and preaching and writing in was a culture that was kind of moving Christianity out to the margins. Uh, we in America, we've really kind of starting to move Christianity out to the margins. We're really fastly, if we're not already there, becoming, I believe, a post-Christian nation. Uh, this is even a pre-Christian city. And so Corinth was a very important city in the Roman Empire. About 500,000 people is what they believe uh, was living in Corinth. And, and think of it this way. The importance of Corinth is kind of like our New York City, all right, or Los Angeles. It was, it was a very, very important city to the Roman Empire, support city 
Paul's writing this letter about 56 AD, uh, so you're about 23 years after the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But Corinth, this was a town that worshipped anything and everything. Uh, you have over 26 dedicated temples within Corinth, uh, but it's also a city and a church that really celebrated sin. And so at this time, there is a Greek term that is actually coined within the Roman Empire that if you were describing somebody who was living a sinful life, you would say they are living like a Corinthian. All right? I mean, so this is, a, this is an area where just sin is running rampant. But then you get into the church of Corinth, and there's all kinds of divisions. Uh, there's people that are elevating their spiritual gifts over others. There's sin being celebrated, and it's just a mess. But Paul, he starts off the letter in a very tactful way, because a lot of the letter is going to be very corrective. Paul's showing us in the first nine verses some wonderful blessings of following Christ. And that's where we're going to center in on this morning, our two main blessings of following Jesus. So if you don't mind, let's stand together. And let's read the first nine verses. And if you're, you're new with us, we do this just to honor the reading of the Word of God when we read a large section together. So we're going to pick up in verse 1, go down to verse 9. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now let me just stop real quick there. Uh, we don't know exactly who this guy is. Uh, there's a Sosthenes that appears in the book of Acts that is in charge of the temple, that is opposing Paul. So it could have been him who later gave his life to Christ, and then we see a powerful transformation because Paul's calling him a brother. But then there's also another Sosthenes that could have been Paul's aide, you know, kind of been helping Paul along, writing the letter. So we don't really know who he is. This is the only time he's mentioned in the letter. And um, if you ask me any more questions, that's all I got on that. Okay, so... No deep podcast coming out on Sosthenes. Really, this is the only appearance you're going to see of him. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all of those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you are called in the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we believe this is the word of God, and you may be seated. You know, we open up in 1 Corinthians, and you see the first blessing of knowing Christ, and it's this, that you are called by God that you're called by God. You see in verses 1 through 3 that word call used three different times. And so as we read through our Bibles together and you're seeing that word kind of over and over, you're thinking, well, man, that's important. Paul's showing us something, and Paul's showing us that he was called by God. Now, what we will tend to do 
is when we come into a new letter that Paul's written, we'll kind of breeze through the greeting. And we'll just breeze through verse 1, whereas a lot of times what Paul's doing as he's writing that introductory statement is he's saying a mouthful in a little bit. And so look in verse 1 again because Paul is showing you something in verse 1 here that's really important. First thing he's showing you is he knows who he is. He says, I'm Paul. I know who I am. I'm Paul. God made Paul, Paul. God made you, you. Don't try to be someone else. You be who God made you to be. That's what he's showing you. He says, I'm Paul. All right, this is who I am. I know who I am. This morning, you be who God has called you to be. But he knows why he's here. Notice I'm Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That, that word apostle, it means sent one. All right, so when he's writing this letter, he's saying, guys, I'm an apostle. I've seen the resurrected Jesus, I've had an encounter with him, and I am sent by God. So what I'm writing to you is what God has sent me to write. What I'm telling you is what God has told me to tell you. So essentially he's saying this, I've got the authority to bring the correction and to line you back up to following Jesus because you've kind of gone off the path. And if you reject me, you're really not rejecting me, you're rejecting God because God sent me to tell you these things. And think about that. That's what we call the principle of transference. Okay, so when you share the gospel with someone and you share Christ and they go, look, you know what? I, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. You know, that, that should break our hearts. But we need to fundamentally understand this. They're not ultimately rejecting us as the messenger. They're rejecting Christ who sent us to deliver the message. And so Paul says, I know who I am. You be who you are. I know why I'm here. Christ has sent me. I'm an apostle. But notice, how he knows how he got here. This is the key thing. He knows how he got here. He is called by the will of God. It's often in the New Testament, what you're going to see Paul do is remind his readers over and over again of his story. Saying, look, I used to be this guy, and now I'm this guy. I used to persecute Christians and lock them up and try to stop the spread of the gospel. And now what am I doing? I'm loving Christians, I'm encouraging Christians, and I'm spreading the gospel. What happened? What changed in such a life of a person who said, I'm used to put these people in chains, and now I'm telling them how the chains of sin can be gone in their lives? What happened? He was called by the will of God. God called him unto salvation. Paul was not seeking Jesus when Jesus sought Paul. And when you, in your life, came to know God, God called you unto salvation. You might say, well, I, I was seeking him. Sure, you were seeking him because he sought you first, and he started drawing you unto himself. Bible tells us this. We love because we first were loved by God. That's the only way we know how to love God because he loved us First, so this morning, have you been called by God? How is God calling you? So notice, not only there's an individual call in verse 1, but look in verse 2, there's a call for the church. He says, verse 2, the church of God that's in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and Hours. Notice this in the beginning of verse 2. 
the church of God that's in Corinth. So let me ask you this. You don't have to say it out loud. Who owns the church? It's not me. It's not you. It's God, right? This is God's church. He owns it all. He's in control. But what has he done with me? What has he done with you? He says, okay, I'm going to call you all together. All right, you understand that? Look in verse 2. I love that. Called to be saints together. That means this. In God's sovereign plan of this area in your life, you are here because God called you here. I am here because God called me here. We are together not by accident. God is working, bringing us together. God is working in our area, bringing all these people around us. Why? So that we steward out what God gives us. See, it's all God's. He's the one that owns it all. But God says, hey, I'm going to put you in a position of stewardship, church. I'm going to call you to steward out everything I'm giving you. It's mine, but I'm going to put you in charge right now. Let you deliver the message. I'm going to let you and empower you to do the work. That's why you see in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is addressing the seven churches in Revelation, where he says, listen, if you don't repent and come back to me, I'm going to take my lampstand out of here. And what that lampstand means, he says, I'm taking me out of the church. I'm just going to leave you guys on your own. I'm pulling away because you're not stewarding out what I've called you to steward out. And so many of you have done this so faithfully over the years. And I was thinking about that this morning when I was praying before I walked over. And I was just like, God, thank you for a faithful church. Thank you for faithful people who have been here year after year after year, and have faithfully been stewarding what God has called us to do. And let me encourage you in that, that we are better together, always stewarding out the gospel. So let's stay that course in that partnership that we are called together. This is his church, but notice why we are called. He says this in verse 2, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints Together. Now, that word sanctified means this. It means to be set apart. Okay, so when we talk about sanctification, there's two ways we're going to talk about this here. There is the act of being sanctified. There is the act of being sanctified. Okay, so that means simply this. When you come and place your faith in Jesus Christ, God sets you apart from sin unto himself. So that means right now, as believers in Jesus, God sees you beautiful. He sees you through the lens of his son's righteousness. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, we give Jesus our sin, he gives us his righteousness. So when you come to faith in Christ, God sets you apart from sin, and right now positionally before God, He sees you like he sees his son Jesus because he sees his righteousness in you. You're beautiful. But that's sanctified. We're being sanctified. What does that mean? We're a mess, right? All right? That's why we called this section of 1 Corinthians a beautiful mess because God sees us right now beautiful. 
But right now, practically, we're messy. We deal with anger issues, jealousy issues, lust issues, sin issues. And what is God doing right now in sanctification is he's sanctifying you, making you more like Christ, helping you set that daily action apart from sin. So we're a beautiful mess, is what verse 2 is saying as Christians. And so if you're new with us this morning and you're looking for the perfect church, sorry. If you're online saying, man, I'm just going to shop online for a few minutes and hopefully this is the church that's perfect, sorry. You know why we're not perfect? Because I showed up. And I'm a beautiful mess in God's eyes. And I don't think I'm probably the only one. Amen? All right, so we can be hypocritical at times. We can be sinful at times. We can do all those things at times because we're a beautiful mess, beautiful in God's eyes, still messy where God is working on our lives. And so we see this call that God calls us unto himself. And that's a blessing. But notice also we see in verses 4 through 6 that God equips us. And let's pick up in verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So you're not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is a God who calls. God is a God who equips and what Paul's saying there is that God has equipped you, he's enriched you, and he's pointing us to spiritual gifts. Now, he's going to talk a lot about spiritual gifts later in the chapter, in verses or chapters 12 through 14, but he's already kind of centering in on one of their problems. And one of the problems of the people in Corinth in this church was they were elevating their spiritual gifts above others. And they were saying, well, hey, I'm more important to that person. You know, I've got a better spiritual gift than they do. And so there was a lot of pride in kind of puffing themselves up based on the way God gifted them. And so if you're, if you're kind of new with that concept, spiritual gifts essentially this, that when you come to place your faith in Christ, God gives you at least one spiritual gift, right? So good news, you at least get one. Some people get more than one, but you at least get one. Now here's the thing about spiritual gifts. You don't get to sign up for them, all right? There's no, like, internet thing you go to and go, ooh, this, the, you know, the gift of hospitality sounds fun. I'm going to choose that one, right? The gift of evangelism sounds fun. Sign me up, right? I want to be a teacher. That would be great. Just click. That doesn't work that way. Remember, God made you, so God knows you better than you, and so God, when you come to faith in Christ, says, hey, I, I'm the one that made you and called you, so I'm now going to equip you, and here's the spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. And so that's what's interesting when God puts a call on our lives into ministry or missions or service, and we come back to God and go, I can't do that. How in the world am I going to do that? No way you're calling me to that. God's like, yes, I am. I'm the one who saved you and made you and equipped you. I've told you this before. In school, I would rather take an F than give a book report. Like, if there was a choice, 
Lee in English class was going with the F. Not because I didn't read the book, because I didn't want to stand in front of people and talk, right? <laughs> there you go. And now I'm like, man, give me a microphone and a crowd, and phew, you know, invite me to pray in public, and I'm praying like the gospel for 10 minutes, you know? I mean, like, it's just out there. It's, that's the way God called me, made me, equipped me. God's doing the same with you. But understand, there's not one spiritual gift we elevate over another. There's a, a, a story by a man by the name of Leonard Bernstein. Uh, he was being interviewed, and, and Leonard Bernstein was an orchestra conductor, very famous and, and the interviewer asked him, I said, what's the hardest instrument to play? It's the hardest one to play. And Leonard Bernstein sat there for a moment, and he, he thought about it, and then he answered it. He said, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists, but no one wants to play second violin with as much enthusiasm. Or second French horn or second flute. He said, that's a problem. If no one plays second, we have no harmony. And so understand in a church, there is not one position, there's not one job that's unimportant. Everything you do is important because when you're living out and exercising those spiritual gifts, you're encouraging people, you're building up the body of Christ, you're helping others come to faith, you're serving others, you're loving others, you're showing a picture of service that what Christ has served you, and guess what happens? We have harmony. And so Paul says God called you, God equips you, but notice the final blessing is God keeps you. God keeps you. Look in verses 7 through 9. He says, so that you're not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God calls you, equips you, but also God keeps you. And you see in verse 8, Paul says this, He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord. Remember, you're that beautiful mess. God has set you apart. Right now, he sees you as righteous. Right now, that's where you are positionally. You're beautiful, but you're still messy as a Christian. And what is he doing with that mess? Over time, he's cleaning that mess up. He's making you more and more like Christ. He's keeping you in that promise, and he's keeping you in his hand. Why? Because at the day of the return of Christ, you're no longer a beautiful mess. You're just beautiful because he's kept you through this. I love what Philippians 1, chapter, verse one, verse, chapter 1, verse 6 excuse me, says. Paul says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who started something in you is going to see it through because he's faithful. He calls you, equips you, he keeps you. And you notice verse 9? Verse 9 puts all the faithfulness on him. He says in verse 9, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus. So even though in your Christian life there's going to be times you battle sin, you battle temptation, you battle issues, God's saying, I've got you. 
You didn't save yourself, and you're not going to keep yourself saved. That's my work. I've called you, I've equipped you, and I'm keeping you. The God who calls you is the God who's going to keep you to the end. Now, if you read your Bible often, or you go to life group, or you come and hear a sermon, there comes a point in time when you read a devotion, or you listen in life group, or you listen to a sermon, that I call the so what moment. It happens every time. Whether you really kind of realize it or not, you, you do it naturally. You read something, you hear something, and you kind of go, so what? Right? So what? I've got a lot of issues. You know, I mean, maybe looking for a job, I've got medical issues, marital issues, you know, issues in my life, anxiety, worry, doubt, all these things. So, hey, Lee, so what? So if, if you've already thought about that, guess what this time of the message is? It's the so what moment. We've arrived. And so what I do with my so what moments when I read my Bible or sometimes I'm preparing a message or I hear a message and like you, I think, so what? I like to move through the message in three categories, and I'm going to take you through this application as a way to hopefully train you to get something out of your reading, but also to kind of center in on what God's talking to you about right now. Let's think about the head. Let's think about what this does in our minds. What does this do in your mind when you read and you hear the message you just hear? Here's what it does with me. It reminds me that I'm not alone. It reminds me that this God in whom we worship is not this far-off, distant God. It reminds me, and it should remind you this morning, that the God in whom we worship is a very personable God. He is a God who knows you, because he knows Paul, right? We, so we talked about that back in verse 1. And this is a God who knows you, who's interested in you, who's personal, who calls you. So that's what we should be thinking this morning. What should we be feeling Let's look at our heart. What does a passage like this do to our, to our hearts, to our emotions? It should do this. We should feel loved. right? We should feel loved. And this is, this is God who has loved us, who has called us, who has equipped us, who says he will keep us. And in all of our mess, God says, I love you. I called you unto salvation. And so we think in our emotions this morning, it should stir us up. To say, God, thank you for that love. Thank you for that kindness and the way you are moving in my life. There was a time I was on my way to hell until God called me unto himself for salvation. Amazement should fill us up this morning in our souls. But, but what about our, our hands? All right, so our, our, our heads, our hearts, our hands. What should this do with our hands, our, our practical everyday life? Well, Usually when you read through a passage and you're looking for that kind of next step, what does God want me to do with my hands, we look for a call. And, and we don't see a call within the text in the sense of an action to take, but we see something Paul does that we can join in on. Because notice verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God. This morning, that's what you can do with your hands. Say, God, in my practical everyday life, let me be thankful. Let me have a, an attitude of gratitude with you. You know, I, I know I bring a lot of things to you that I need you to fix in my life, and, and that's fine and that's good, but, but you have a, a practice of thanking God for what he's done in your life. 
And you, you regularly thank God, God, here's what you did here. Here's what you're doing. And Lord, I'm thanking you already for what you will do. And so to think this morning, to thank God and, and to just answer this question also this morning with your head and your heart and your hands is what's God calling you to right now? Maybe he's called you, but what is he calling you to? Is it maybe full-time ministry? You know, mission work, ministry work, is he calling you to that? Maybe there's a call for a, a position of service within, within the life of our church where you can exercise those spiritual gifts and build up people and encourage people. I mean, what's he calling you to? This morning, is he calling you to invite a friend uh, to share the gospel with someone? You know, invite a friend to something we have going on or in a service or, or to simply share and have a gospel conversation. Is he calling you to do that? You know, we had guests at Easter. We've had guests recently because many of you are doing that. You're inviting folks in. It's God calling you, putting somebody on your heart and mind. This is what we call our four-by-four plan. If you're new with us, find four people who don't follow Christ. Pray for them. Invite them. Share Jesus with them. Is he calling you to be baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ? You know, maybe you were baptized as a child. But now later in life, you came to know Jesus as your Savior. Have you been baptized as a believer? We're, we're not here to take away anything from that way you were raised. But what we believe the Bible says is that we go public with our faith. And we go public with our faith in baptism. Because now we're showing people, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we baptize by immersion. Because we give that picture in baptism of here was the old me. Until I met Christ, I was buried with Christ. Now I'm raised with Jesus. Have you done that? Is he calling you into that this morning? And maybe this morning it's a call to be saved. A call just like Paul, that God came seeking him on that Damascus road. And he sought him out and he called him unto himself. And Paul responded. Now for some of you, you might think, well, how do I know if I'm being called unto salvation? Well, if you call to him, then you're being called. And the Bible says that's how we are saved. We call out to him. Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You place that faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you this morning here in this room. Maybe that's you online this morning, right there where you are. How's God calling you where you are worshiping with us today? And so let's bow in a word of prayer. I want to thank you for watching today's message. Right now, I want to encourage you to do something. You know, when we hear the Word of God, the Bible calls us to make a decision. And really, that comes from Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. If you think about all the decisions that you've had to make in your life, some were small decisions, some were big decisions, some were not really important, and some were very important. But the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ in your life is the most important decision that you're ever going to make. See, really, there's only two options. You can walk with Jesus or you could walk away from Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now to walk with Jesus. And the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you place your faith in Him. You place your trust in Him. And what you're doing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus is you're saying, Jesus, I, I know I have sinned. I know I have sin in my life that separates me from God. 
And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you can bring me to God. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21 that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, God put all our sin on him. And that when you trust by faith in Jesus, he gets your sin and you get his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. That means you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all the sins that you've ever done and that you're forgiven of all the sins you ever will do. And the Bible says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin and he forgives you of, of the power of sin in your life right now, that when you die, that God will take you to heaven to be with him for all of eternity. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that right now where you are. And you simply can pray along with me. Just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say, Dear God, I know I have sinned. And today I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. You know, friend, if you've prayed that with us today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org connect or simply open the camera app uh, on your phone and put it right over this QR code and that's going to take you to that website. There you can let us know that you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. What we'd love to do is celebrate that with you, pray for you, come alongside of you and help you take your next steps of faith. And so I want to thank you for watching today's message. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it out, we'd love to see you in person here at Heights on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. Or you can catch us online at 9 and 10.30 a.m. live on Sunday mornings on our Heights Facebook page or our Heights YouTube page. So again, until next time, God bless and have a great week.